Well, not a big group, it looks like, to start. Um, uh, that's all right. We're going we're gonna to go through... Uh, uh, we're going to go through the uh, revelation, and and if, if any of you, I'll, I'll start up here. As, uh, I have my name up there on the on the top of the screen, but um, I uh, I teach uh, revelation in a class called the Climb. We basically do Bible studies, and we've done various books, and we've been in, in Revelation for 37 weeks now. So um, we've been in there for for quite a while at, at 37 weeks and now then I was asked to summarize it in actually two sessions this one and this will carry on over uh, to the mine on Tuesday night so if you want to get the second half of this that would be Tuesday night and um, well that's so that's what I've been asked to do a lot of stuff if you can imagine that that we've been doing this for 37 weeks and we're not done yet we're in uh, Revelation chapter 20 um, you can you can imagine how much we have to go through so I'll do the best I can plan for today is to go from um, Revelation chapter 1 and probably only get into 4 or maybe 5 because that is going to lead us off with the judgments that are coming on, on the earth. So on the mind we're going to talk about all the judgments. We'll talk about the millennium real quick and we'll talk about the uh, coming kingdom, the, the forever and ever. And so that's a lot to handle in that period of time as well. But um, anyway, we'll do the best uh, we can. Once again, uh, Michael Scott's uh, my name, the class that I teach and in case any of you are interested in a kind of ongoing Bible study and we'll break into another book when we're done with that and and we just keep going through book by book verse by verse and that's why of course it's it's uh, taken us uh, so long to do that but I'm excited to be asked to do this to do revelation in a short period of time and uh, so without uh, too much more pause why don't we uh, start off with a word of prayer and then and then we'll get into it so let's bow our heads dear Lord I just thank you for uh, who you are and uh, for for you revealing yourself to us this book of Revelation is all about you. And, and as we open it today and as we, we, we go through it quickly, I just ask that uh, your Holy Spirit does the teaching, that you would uh, just uh, guide and direct your word, that let it not be my words, but your words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Revelation, uh, a couple things. The, the verses that I put up there in the Bible that I use is a New King James uh, Version Bible. I put up here on the screen above me a, uh, a kind of where the different translations fall. I uh, like a little more word-for-word -word, uh, translation. So what I have over here is uh, New King James, which falls into the word-for-word. -word. Um, Pastor Lynn uses the NIV uh, in church, the NIV, and that's a little bit more of a thought-for-thought -thought type translation. Uh, translation and then we have some that are more paraphrased which would be like the living bible and and stuff like that still the word of god but for study purposes and especially for me because a for example a strong's concordance an exhaustive concordance will take the greek and the hebrew words and and directly translate you can look it up from the king james find your word find the greek or hebrew word so it makes it easier so the what i have in your bible may be a little bit different translation no big deal if you see something you go wow that's really different than what mine says, go ahead and raise your hand and, and we can talk about it or we can talk about it after. Uh, it's, it's not a big deal, but just so you know. 
Okay, first thing, in Revelation there's a promise. And this is kind of cool because it's the only book in which we have a promise to the reader. And the promise is this. From Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 it says this. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. So there's a special blessing for just reading this book. I know that some people, uh, even uh, some churches, stay away from the book of Revelation. I know one time I was doing a search for uh, a church and we were I was calling various churches and, and one of the questions I asked them was whether they taught Revelation. They said, no, our pastor doesn't feel comfortable teaching the book of Revelation. And it is weird, but what it is is it's a 66th book of the Bible. 65 books that meant came before it and you better have some knowledge of those 65 books or you won't be able to to properly interpret the book of, uh, of Revelation. So um, it relies on that. A matter of fact, in the class that we teach in the climb on uh, Sunday mornings at 9, we have been spending, like I said, 37 uh, weeks so far going through Revelation because it relies so much on the Old Testament. We do a lot of, of quoting from Old Testament scripture. It just relies on the whole Bible. Bible. It is the end. It's the final chapter. It's uh, like some people like to go to the end of the book. Uh, my wife sometimes will go in a bookstore and she'll go and she'll read the end and I'll say, what's wrong? She goes, well, I just read the end of this book. And I'm like, well, you didn't even read the beginning, the setup to get there. Well, if you read the end of this book, you would cry only. I mean, you would. You'd read the, read the end of Revelation and you would go, that's horrible. How could all this be happening? But to understand the promises that there are, are therein and the promises that, that uh, are, are to us as, as Christians and as the church um, are amazing. But one, a special blessing is right there. So this is from the very first of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, uh, verse 1. The second half says that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God God gave him to show his servants. God gave Jesus this to show his servants, which are you and I. And he told it through John. That's what it says. Which, um, which must... Excuse me, which must shortly take place. That shortly means doesn't mean it's going to happen right after John received this revelation to tell, but it means once the things start, they will happen quickly in a short period of time. We know that time to be seven years that we have of a total tribulation. But before he gets started with that, he... Um, um, he tells us, he, he sends out these letters to seven specific churches. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But this being the revelation of Jesus Christ, for the, those of you who don't know, one is it's singular. Notice that it says revelation, not revelations. It's a singular revelation of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. Revelation means unveiling. So it's an unveiling of Jesus Christ. So we can learn more about who Jesus is from this. Um, I, I paraphrased it, uh, kind of looking at the Greek, and it would be an unveiling of Yeshua, or Jesus. It says the Messiah, which means the anointed one. So it's an unveiling of the anointed one. This anointed one is the one who, who is the answer to our problem. Our problem is sin, if we go all the way back to, to, to Genesis, and that we have fallen short of this glory of God. And we have the answer in Jesus Christ. So let's find out why wouldn't you want to find out more about Jesus. This is a revelation of Jesus. So yes, we've read the Gospels. Yes, we've read the New Testament. Yes, we've seen the Old Testament points to Jesus. This really fully un unveils who he is. And in that first chapter, well, he is described as the Alpha and the Omega. He describes himself. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He says... Uh, says the Lord. 
he, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So he is the Almighty. It says that he has the keys of uh, Hades and death. Jesus has the keys to Hades and death. And we're going to see those keys kind of pass in and out. Uh, they were actually given to Satan at one point to, to open up the abyss during this tribulation period. It's, it's pretty nasty. But um, in the midst uh, and under his control, as John sees him in Revelation chapter 1, he's in the midst of seven stars, which are the seven angels to these seven churches, which he's writing letters this, these letters to, and seven lampstands, which are the seven churches. Now, seven is a complete number. It's a holy number. We know it is God's number. Seven is, is complete. And so in that, in that uh, completeness, that holy number, God's number, we see a completeness, I think, of the churches. So seven churches, there would be would be complete all the churches. So the letters aren't just for those seven churches. They're for all the churches. They're for you and I. It's a completeness, uh, a, a wholeness of that, a, a perfection uh, kind of, uh, of number. So um, the... Um, uh, one of the things I wanted to read to you before, and I put it up on the screen behind me, is what uh, Paul said to the Colossians, kind of a little thing about Jesus. Since this is an unveiling of Jesus Christ, I thought I'd throw this up here. And this is what it says. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So the Redeemer, he, he's forgiven us of all our sins. Isn't that great? And says he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created through him and for him see everything points to Jesus everything it says and he is before all things and in him all things consist you know John 1 1 says in the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, it is that Word, His very Word, the Word of God that is Jesus Christ, that action of God, and by Him, the entire world exists. Without Him, you take Him away, and we would, it would all fly apart. It is that powerful. And this is what Paul was saying here. Uh, and that, picking up at verse 18, it says, And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He is number one in all things. He's also the firstborn from the dead. He had to die so that, that he could go, it says, to prepare a place for you. It says, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. So he has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us, the church. And he will call us again one day to be with him when that place is ready. Anyway, this is, this is who he is, the firstborn from the dead. So he had to die to beat death to show, so that we could beat death. And we have done that by accepting Jesus Christ. It says, For it pleased the, fa um, the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things into himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of 
of his cross. It is through that blood of the cross that it was the answer to our sin. It is all things point to him is what this is really saying. It's all things are about Jesus Christ. And here we have in Revelation the unveiling of Jesus Christ. We have the end. We have all things. We are going to see he who is and was and is to come. He is the answer to all those things. In Revelation we have an outline. This outline of Revelation is, is given in chapter 1 verse 19. It says in chapter 1, verse 19, Write the things which you have seen, which was the initial vision of chapter 1 that John has of, of Jesus. When he sees him as uh, king of kings, or when he sees him as, as the beginning and the end, as he sees him as the Alpha and the Omega, and he sees this him standing there with the stars in his hand and the lamp stands around him, standing among the churches and among the angels of the churches, he sees him there, he says, Write the things which you have seen, which he just did, and the things which are which are the churches and so the next two chapters chapter 2 and chapter uh, 3 are the things which are the churches letters to the churches and the things that will take place after this are the things from chapter 4 on so what we have is uh, as you can see here we have the um, churches and after the churches um, we have the rapture and we're going to talk a little bit about the rapture today and I'll, I'll give you because we are short in time my view of it and then if you have questions about where that sits or whatever I'd love to talk to you guys about it afterwards but nevertheless what I believe the word of God says about that we will talk about today so we'll have that then we have the tribulation period and I'll talk to you in just a minute why the tribulation period is uh, set up where it's at and, and and who it's for and then we have him coming his second coming the second coming sets up the millennial reign which is a thousand years and after that is eternity so that's a basic outline. That, that eternity, uh, the new heaven and the new earth is found in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. The millennium's in chapter 20. And from 6 to 18 is, uh, is, is the tribulation period. And then we have some things that are talked about in, in um, 19 uh, where Jesus comes back. That's where we see him come back in victory to defeat the enemy. Which is where he will lock up the uh, false prophet and the Antichrist and he will uh, throw them in the lake of fire and he will lock up Satan for the thousand year period. And we'll get into that. Like I said, that's going to be part of the mind on Tuesday. But nevertheless. So the seven letters... Um, in Revelation that are written to seven different churches. It's kind of interesting. On the bottom here I have those seven churches. It's Ephesus, Samarna, Pergamos, Thyatira, um, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now we as readers of the New Testament know that Paul wrote many letters to many churches. And not only one of those is there. The Ephesians, Ephesus, the very first one. Of the other ones we don't see. So why not? Why not a letter to the Corinthians? Why was not Revelation written to... Um, to uh, the Colossians or, or anybody else. Why are we not seeing those in there? I think it, this, is, this shows uh, a specific plan and a specific purpose. Know that God does not do anything by accident. And these happen to be seven churches which sit in, in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. All seven of these churches sit in that area. The first column, if you can read it, I have the definition of their name, of Ephesus, Desired, Samarna, Mirth, and I, I went through and listed those. More importantly, we can find in these churches uh, set up a, um, a period of history. We can look through the history of the church and we can find most clearly defined to the letter, uh, the letter to the church in Ephesus um, would be the... Uh, uh, 
apostolic church would be the church of, if you will, the initial from the initial apostles that came out from them, that initial church that was under heavy persecution. And, and, and so, so he writes to that. And I, I put some years there too. We don't have to go through all of them, but you can see them uh, on the screen from 30 to 100 AD. It goes through the, the, the uh, uh, Smyrna would be the uh, Roman uh, persecuted uh, church during that. They heavily persecuted, uh, the world heavily persecuted those. Uh, the Jews at the same time were persecuting those who would become Christians because they thought the only way certainly was through the, the following the Jewish laws and practices. And then all of a sudden, the, through Rome, through Constantine, they accepted the church and they made it their official church, the church of the land. Well, the problems with that, at first it was great. They could come out of the homes in which they... they they learn the word of uh, the the word of God in in privacy, um, in secrecy, and they were able to come out and bring it into public. However, once the church gained control over it, then it became the church's way at, at, at making the people do what they wanted them to do. See, so it wasn't really a free uh, learning, and 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 you can find um, things like that. And then then you entered into the dark ages. This is pre printing press type uh, period of time in which which. Uh, the, anyway, uh, the, the churches of that time. And then you had the Reformation. The printing press comes out. Uh, uh, Martin Luther uh, pins his, his edict on the, church, on the church door and says, no, no, no. This is for the people. The word of God is for the people. And there was great Reformation uh, out of that. And there's reforming. And it could have gone great, but they still kept many of the practices of the traditions that started to come through. And, and so the letter was written to them too. And then Philadelphia would have been the, uh, uh, historically a period of time where large missionary movements were going out, people were coming all over. As a matter of fact, during those those days uh, people thought that, that perhaps we could get the earth to be so good that we would be ready for Christ's return, which didn't happen. We've kind of come back the other way, certainly from those those days. And then Laodicea uh, the, it would be a church of apostasy. People saying they're Christians but not really being Christians in and, and, uh, so many different uh, ways and that would be historically I also believe that those letters to the seven churches are specific, not just historically, but they're specific to any church today. You could walk in any church today and read the praises and the... Uh, con, uh, the um, uh, condemning of any of these churches. You can find the good things and the bad things that are mentioned in these letters in any church, probably in any given church today. You go through and you find that. So it fits the church as a whole. You walk into church, you can say, yeah, they're doing these good things and they're doing these bad things. And that's exactly what goes through. There is an outline in the letter to these churches. The outline uh, goes something like this. There's the name of the church. And then there's a title of Christ chosen to that church. In most cases, it comes right out of chapter 1. How Jesus revealed himself to John, he then says, he who is the first and the last, for example, the Alpha and the Omega, says this to the chur this church. And he who is this says this to this church. And it goes all the way through. And then there's a, a commendation saying, saying, well, John, in most cases, there are two that, that aren't. There's two that's only concern, only problems with. Laodicea is one of them. Um, and then uh, there's an exhortation saying, saying uh, do, do well, do better in this. This is something that you could work on. You could be better in this. And then there's a promise to the overcomer. The promise to the overcomer would be to those that endure to the end, that as Paul says, that finishes the race. 
Paul says he strives to finish the race, right? So he is going to, to finish the race and to run the race to the end, and that's how it's given to us as a Christian. We are told that we do not sit under judgment that the rest of the world will sit under. They will come at the end of Revelation, we find that they will sit under a great white throne of judgment. We aren't. We are given a reward judgment, something similar to uh, someone who goes to the Olympics and they come up on the podium to get their prize. That is a Bema seat type judgment. It is a congratulations, well done, my good and faithful servant, as the Lord might say. So in that, in saying that, well done, my good and faithful servant, or that, that's the reward, the Bema seat type judgment that the church gets. Nevertheless, that's the promise to the overcomer. We can find those kind of promises there, he who runs. And then we have a, a, a verse that's in them all that says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's a hearkening to us. That's a, hey, pay attention. This is important. I'm writing this to you. Pay attention to what I have. Of all of Revelation, the only thing that really directly re relates to us certainly is the end, the last of Revelation, forever and ever, but is the beginning, seeing who Jesus is, and this letter to the churches. So it's, it's, it's quite an interesting uh, um, outline as, as we go through. So the purpose of, of the uh, tribulation is kind of one of the, one of the things that I, I want to talk to you about because in this, after we talk to, uh, um, about the churches, which I'm going to do here in just a second, we're going to talk about um, the tribulation and who it's set up for. And so we're going to go there. In case you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and look and, and mark Daniel chapter 9. And we're going we're gonna to pull from Daniel chapter 9 to see why the tribulation and all, why seven specific years, why all of that. So we're going to go to that in a minute. A couple things before we go, though, is I want to talk a little bit more about the churches. And, and one of the things is that... Um, some of the things that it says, without going through each one, some of the ways that the church was praised was for this, for having patience, for having labored. That means laboring and enduring, being long-suffering, if you will, for, for the word of God, for continuing in tribulation. Not the great tribulation that we'll see here in Revelation, but for... Um, uh, for just enduring any kind of persecuting, any kind of hardship. Certainly, Satan comes to, to, to try to inflict tribula tribulation on us. Um, for being in poverty, for enduring in poverty, for being humble in that, in, in that state. For works of love, for service, for faith. These are things that the church has prayed for. For having, having kept my command to preserve, it says. To preserve until the end. That's that whole Paul idea of running the race. Running a race to the finish. So this was a promise though, and it, it's kind of interesting to me. There was an additional promise here that was listed to those who, um, who, who preserve to the end. Who, who persevere to the end, I should say. And those who persevere, he says, um, he will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. See, we as Christians are perseverers. We are overcomers. Those of us who believe in God, we have a special promise. And that promise is that we won't take part in that tribulation, I believe. Not just from that verse, from uh, other verses. But that, that's it in, in the first couple chapters. We have warnings to the churches like this, and we should pay attention to those because they're warnings for us. We are the church says that you have left your first love and I think that goes beyond just leaving because you're the church certainly we say uh, and they might even say because he said it to the very first church the, the uh, uh, um, uh, apostol apostolic church that the um, 
that, that they had left their first love. So what does that mean to leave your first love? And I, I always think, well, we know the first commandment, right? Or the commandment that God said was the greatest, Jesus said when he was asked, was to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, so love your neighbor, at, at, I mean, your second was to love your neighbor as yourself. The first would love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your body, and with your soul. So I think both of those, he said, in these two, all of the law is fulfilled. So in these two, all of the law is fulfilled. So that is... Um, kind of interesting. Losing your first love, I think, isn't just losing the love of God, but of your neighbor. When you hold it so close, the word of God so close that we don't share it with somebody else, that we're afraid to tell somebody else, don't you care about them? You don't want them to go through what we're going to see happens in, in, in the rest of tribulation. So I think that's interesting. Uh, a doctor of, of Balaam who, who basically tricked Israel as they were coming out of the desert uh, later on to kind of intermarry with other people was his way of, of coming around and, and getting into the church, if you will. Because he was unable to curse them from the mountaintop. And so... Balaam, Balaam kind of came in later and said, well, if you let our women marry with their, we can bring our false gods into their lives and, and get at them that way. And so that would be something that we should watch. We should watch how we, how we play. Do we play in a way that, that we are, are playing outside of, of what is righteous, of what side of God? Are we going and, and incorporating other people's gods or other people's lives or other people's sins into our own life? And so that would be a warning for them. He says that you are alive, but you are dead. That was one of the things that he, he warned them about. He had concern over, over that they were alive, but they were dead. That means, yes, you're living a life. Yes, you may be healthy. Yes, you're taking care of yourself. You're doing all these great things that seem great, but you're dead inside. You've not given yourself to me. You've not listened to my word, and yet I am not able to produce fruit in you because you don't even read my word or know my word. So that would be something. And then finally, that you are lukewarm doesn't like that. You know, today we live in a period, and, and I'll go back on the slide real quick since I had it there. Today we live in a, a, a period where the lukewarm church is probably, I'll go back two slides, is probably more like today. The ones who say, well, yeah, I can live with one foot in this world, and I can live with another foot out of this world, in the Bible. So I can say, yeah, I'm living and doing what I want to do here, and yet I'll come to church on Sundays, and, and yet I don't live a life that, that reflects that in any way throughout. And our friends might say, oh, you're a Christian? I didn't know that. You know, I didn't know that because you you live exactly the way we live, you know. And so, but on Sunday, yeah, you go to church. And so that would be that Laodicean, that would be that lukewarm church in which he says he will spew out of his mouth. So it's kind of a tough thing because he says, watch out for, for, for that's, what's, that's what's coming uh, to that. And then finally, he has promises to the overcomers. And to the overcomer, like I said, that's you and I. He says that he will give to eat from the tree of life. And when we get to the end of Revelation, we find the tree of life there, sitting in all eternity in the new Jerusalem, high above the earth, above a new heaven and a new earth in this new Jerusalem, and there will be a tree and the river, a river will flow through it, and this tree will produce fruits every year. And they'll be good for us, for us. And we'll be able to gain, I think, not just, not just the substance from that, not just good food, good fruit, if you will, but I think we're also going to gain wisdom through that. And I think that tree of life has a lot to do with wisdom. It says that we won't be hurt by the second death. See, we die twice, kind of. All of us do. When we choose Jesus Christ, we die once. 
We die, we die to self and are alive in Christ. So that a second death, an eternal death, a death which would send us into a lake of fire forever of torment and flame won't affect us at all. We never take part of that second death. And that's a promise to those who overcome. Why? Because you were dead to self now. When you accepted Jesus Christ, you said, I'm not, I'm not living for myself, I'm living for God. And in that, you've died to self and are alive in Christ and forever will be. So you will have no place with that. And then he says, he'll, he's given, he says, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Awesome. Because that represented to Israel an eternal food. They never hungered for anything if they just relied on him. It even says, while they walked through the wilderness, their clothes never wore out. So how cool is that? God can sustain you and no matter what. The clothes that we have right now, he can keep and make last for 40 years. He did it for them. He can feed them when you had no food with manna from heaven for 40 years. He will give you enough. Remember, Jesus said when, when tempted by Satan and Satan asked him to turn a rock into bread, he says, man will not live, shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's the word of God that sustains us and he will sustain us both, both, both physically with nourishing and forever by his word. And I think we will live under that forever. He says he will give you power over the nations. See, he promises the church that they will rule and reign together, uh, rule and reign with him forever. That's a cool thing. It says that you will be clothed in white garments. It says that you will confess your name before his father and before the angels. Your name will be announced. It's the grand coronation. And you come in the ballroom door and he says, and this is, and he says your name. And he says your name before God and, and he says it before the angels. Wow, what an awesome moment, right? To have Jesus say that for you. It says that he will make him a pillar in the temple of his God. You will be, you will be something worth calling solid. You're a good foundation. You're a pillar. You're, you're something, you are worth something to me. You are holding up my building. That's how important you are to me. He says he will ride on, 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 on you his new name. Jesus has a new name and he'll put it on you. He's going to mark you personally and say, you are mine. You're my precious sheep. I love you. I love you more than anything. I died for you. You will always be mine. I will always take care of you. And that's the kind of thing that he will do. And then it says, he will grant you uh, to be with him on his throne. See, he's sitting at the right hand of the father on the father's throne right now, but there is a throne designed for him. There's a throne that's coming for him. And that's what's, and that's what's coming, uh, coming ahead. So, in that, um, uh, yeah, in that, let's talk about the tribulation a little bit. There is a purpose for the tribulation. I don't have a lot of stuff, so I'm trying to figure out how to get it all in here. But um, the tribulation is seven years long. It says so in many different ways. 1,260 days, three and a half and three and a half years, it, uh, times, times and a half a time for half of it, uh, which would be a year two years plus a half a year, which is three and a half years for, for the tribulation por the actual tribulation por portion of the revelation where we would really get into what we call tribulation would be only the three and a half years, only the last half. For the first half, there's kind of a lot of posturing going on. There is uh, a false hope of peace going on. There's a false peace treaty that is signed, which kicks off our seven-year period by the Antichrist, uh, um, most likely by the Antichrist and, and Israel. 
and that will set off this this false peace and he will be gaining favor and even using the apostate church the church that exists during that time to help him rise to power they will push for him as as he as if he is the messiah and then one day he will declare himself to be god and when he declares himself to be god he will actually go at war against that church that kind of pushed him into position so that's, that's what's coming ahead. In the meantime, why? Why seven years? Who is it for? Is it for you and I? Because many would say, well, it's for anyone, any man, any man that sinned or whatever. But I would say to you not, and it comes largely from what I said to you in Daniel chapter 9. So if you have it, if not, I have it on the screen. Daniel chapter 9, starting at verse 24, talks about a specific prophecy that was given to um, Daniel. Daniel got the prophecy when he started praying earnestly when he was reading the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah talked about Babylon controlling Israel for 70 years. He realized they were coming at the end of that and he said, oh, we're going to be free from Babylon. Well, what he didn't realize is that there would be future uh, world rulers that would come in, in the future. So he thought maybe we can go back. Well, they were able to go back and, and do some, some repair work in Israel and stuff, but not in the way that they will during the millennium. Nevertheless, he starts praying for that. An angel is dispatched. Gabriel is dispatched to tell him about what's going to come. And this is what he says to him. And we could talk about what happened during that time and the battle of Michael having to come and help and battle Satan basically so that he could get through with the message. But nevertheless, here we are. Seventy weeks are determined for your people, your people, the Jewish people, and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy, to anoint Jesus Christ, right? The Messiah. It says, uh, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So the seven weeks and the 62 weeks, put them together, we have 69 weeks. 69 of a 70-week prophecy that would leave one week. But nevertheless, until the Messiah, the Prince, comes, we know who that is, Jesus again, um, there will be seven weeks and 62, 69 weeks. The street will be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times, it says. And after the 62 weeks, the, uh, weeks Messiah shall be cut off. We know he was cut off at the cross. But not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it shall be with a flood till the end of the war of desolations are determined. So I have the slide up here. It tells you, if you take that uh, real quick, so because we, we don't have a long time to go through this, all ancient calendars and Jewish calendars are 360 days long. They used a lunar calendar. They, they adapted by adding a month every once in a while and they fixed it. They fixed it. Um, nevertheless, uh, of those 360-day years, if you said, call, there's a week, we would call a week of days seven days, right? A week of weeks would be seven weeks. A week of years would be seven years. So these weeks of years would be seven years. So of the 69 weeks until the Messiah, the Prince, would come and be cut off was the 69 weeks times seven, that would be a year for each one, um, which uh, times 360 days, because that's how long all the, the, the ancient calendars were, were 360 days, would be 173,880 days. 
So if you take that and you say, well, when is that going to start? And we can go back and look. It says when they build the walls and everything around Jerusalem. Well, Artaxerxes in, um, in March 14, 445 B.C., issued a decree in the book of Nehemiah, we can find this, to go out and rebuild the, ba- the walls around Jerusalem. So if you take that day, add the one, 173,880 days, it comes out on uh, April 6, 32 AD. On April 6, 32 AD, Jesus came in to Jerusalem the only time he came into Jerusalem announced. All other times, he sent his disciples ahead of him, and, and then he came in secretly. This time, he came in announced. He came down lowly and riding on a donkey, which fulfilled another prophecy. And they, they put, took palm branches, and they put them before him. They said, Hosanna in the highest, which is save us. Save us from this Roman rule. Save us from our sin. Save us from where we are in our lives. And the Pharisees said, Tell them to stop. Tell them to be quiet. They're declaring you to be the Messiah. And he said, I tell you this. If they were to be quiet, if they were to be quiet, he says, the rocks would cry out. And I believe it. The rocks would. Why? Because this was his day. Prophesied in the book of Daniel to the day. 173,880 days exactly to the day he comes down announced. Only time announced into Israel. Well, that was the end of the 69 weeks. During that 69 weeks, we found world rule over and over and over and over and, 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 and tribulation upon Israel. They did not sit in their rightful place. For God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would be in Israel forever, ruling themselves. They would be showing the light of who God is by their sacrifices and by, by their worship of the one true God. And he would bless them greatly. But they fell away and they worshiped false gods. So because they did that and did not listen to him and did not honor his laws and his rules, he said he would, he would give them 70 weeks of tribulation, basically of persecution, that they would not be able to be uh, uh, um, who he intended on them to be. Because he was going to give the land rest for them ignoring their Sabbath years and on and on and on. And he goes through and tells them this. Well, that means of the 70 weeks, 69 weeks happened and ended on the day that Jesus came down. And now we have a pause. See, the prophets of the Old Testament looked at everything that would happen in Israel and they saw them as mountain peaks. So as they looked on, they saw this would happen prophetically for Israel and then this and then this and then this. What they couldn't see was the valleys. And the valleys was a promise that Jesus said when he came. If you believe in me, you will have eternal life. He says, I go to prepare a place for you, the church, the believers, the people who are here believing me. Why? He came to Israel for them to hear that he was the Messiah. But they chose him not. They laughed at him. They spit him. They crucified him. They tore out his beard. They spit on him. They whipped him. They hung a, a, a crown of thorns on him instead of the crown that he should have had. And because of that and them turning their back on him, he says, okay, I'm here for anyone, anyone that will listen. Anyone will listen. And he said, as he goes to his father's house to prepare a bride, if you look at the Jewish wedding, that's what a, a, that's what a bridegroom would do, would go to his father's house, add on, on buildings, and then come back for them. You and I are the bride of Christ, and he is going to come back. But before he does, seven years, uh, before he comes back for, I should say, uh, the second time to Israel to reveal himself as the true Messiah, he is going to come back for his church. 
He's going to come back to take his bride out of the way. For you were not made to go through the tribulation. This tribulation is for who? The people Israel. We go back to the thing. It says in, in Daniel 9.24, it says, For your people and your holy city. Right? For your people. This 70 years is for your people, for Israel. That's what the 70 years, the seven-year tribulation is, is left for. It's going to be on the world. All those who chose not to choose God, not to choose Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son who came to die on the cross as an answer for our sins. So that's what the seven years left is for. And that's why I believe that the rapture comes after the letters to the churches. This is what happens. In Revelation chapter 4 through 20, 22, there is no mention of the church, not to the end. In chapter 22, it mentions the church. So before, why? Where is the church? During the tribulation, the church isn't mentioned. But in chapters 2 and 3, they're mentioned and 1. They're mentioned over and over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden, nothing until the end. I believe they're in heaven at this point. And I think you see them as uh, mentioned as 24 elders, and we can explain that later, but we're going to go through a little bit about this tribulation, I mean about this um, rapture. So the rapture is um, God is not found in the Bible, that literal word rapture. So we don't find rapture, so what is, where do we get rapture from? Rapture comes from a Latin word. It comes from a Latin word, raptura, which means to be caught up, which is what we do see in, in the Bible. We see the Greek word harpazo, which means to be caught up, or this catching away idea. And Paul speaks very clearly. He writes a letter to the Thessalonians um, because they are worried because some people are dying around them and they're wondering if, hey, did these people miss the rapture? I mean, we're the first church, right? We're the newborn church, and we have these people dying, and I don't understand what it is that's going on. I don't understand why, uh, why are we losing people. Isn't Jesus coming back quickly for us, soon for us? And Paul writes them this in, the, in his first letter to the Thessalonians. Thessalonians, uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, it says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So those that you're worried about, those who have already died before you, you know, they're your loved ones who died, who, knew, who believed in Jesus Christ, they'll rise first. It's, it's actually in an instant. They'll be there, you'll be there kind of thing. It says, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, and that's the word where, it's harpazo in the Greek, and it's where the word we get rapture from, but our, our, we are harpazo together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We will always be, we will be caught up and comforted. Comfort one another with that. Be looking for that. That is an important thing. Well, time goes on and, and, and the Thessalonians now recognize that they are in severe tribulation. I mean, their lives are not getting easier. They're getting harder. It's harder to make this Christian walk. It's getting more and more trying, and we are worried that we're in the middle of the tribulation. We miss the rapture. We're sitting here in the middle of the tribulation. So Paul writes them a second letter 
to confirm to them that they are indeed not in the middle of the great tribulation. You may be in tribulation, but it's not the great tribulation. It's tribulation that we all have. Certainly, we live in a very free country, but there are those around the world that live in great tribulation today. I'm going to live in tribulation today, but not the great tribulation, not the Lord's day, which it speaks of in the Old Testament, or the time of Jacob's trouble, which is also spoken of in the Old Testament. That would be the great tribulation. That would be the tribulation that John is getting ready to get revealed after um, he speaks about the churches. So this is what it says in Second Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter two, verse one. It says, "Now." Brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come, as though the day of Christ had come. It says, let uh, no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So what is that saying? What, what is Paul uh, saying to expect during that time? He says to expect... Uh, during that time, he says, uh, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered together with him. So that's that rapture. He's talking about the rapture there. And he says in verse 2, he says, troubled as though the day of Christ had already come. Well, the day of Christ, um, they were afraid, like I said, that they had missed it. Uh, they were worried that the day of the Lord was coming. The day of Christ would have pointed towards the rapture that the end of that, the day of the Lord, they were afraid they were already in that day of the Lord. The time of Jacob's trouble, like I, I said, this, this great tribulation. Um, to clarify what the day of Christ would be compared to the day of the Lord, this day of the Lord, this great, this time when he would, would be returning, um, Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is a gathering together with him. This is us meeting in the, him in the, in the air, whether dead or alive, until that day. He is going to be with you. He is going to comfort you. That's a promise to the church. We can bank on that. So Paul then warns him about certain things to look for before the day of the Lord would come. There was no sign specifically to announce that. You know, nothing has to happen before the rapture of the church comes. Everything's been fulfilled. There is no specific prophecy of something that we need to or uh, be looking for before he comes. He could come at any moment. At any moment he could come. And that's why the church was told to be watching for him. We are the church. We should still be watching. Some 2,000 years later, it's still important because our eyes should be towards heaven, because our hearts should be towards heaven. The, everything that we have should be towards, towards God for he is coming and he is coming to rule and reign. He is coming to judge the, worst, the world first and then to rule and reign. So then it says in verse 3, it says, Be not be shaken um, in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if it was from the day Christ had come. I'm sorry. Let no one see you. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first. The man of sin is revealed in sudden position. First off, that falling away is an apostasy. That falling away that they're worried about is that the, the church would turn away from God. 
And that will not, when the church finally ultimately turns away, the false church, there's a false church there, that will not, the full falling away won't happen until we are taken out of the way. But it says in this in Luke, Jesus said this. Luke chapter 18, verse 7 and 8 says this. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? This is Jesus asking the question. The implied answer there is no, he won't. And when he comes, when he comes in that time, largely the earth will be following an antichrist. When he comes for a second coming in the end, when he comes to defeat Satan, when he comes to defeat the, the, the false prophet and, and, and the antichrist, he will not find faith there. He will find a false faith, a, a faith that is misguided and misdirected by Satan. Remember, Satan is the father of lies. That's what the Bible calls him, the father of lies, and a murderer from the beginning. See, he helped cause death among men when he sat in the tree of knowledge and good and evil and got up and convinced us, convinced mankind to eat from that fruit, a fruit that was forbidden to eat from this knowledge, tree of knowledge of good and evil. He is, he has caused death from then on. Death to all man for we were cast out of that garden of, uh, uh, um, garden of Eden and we were cast into this world that was a cursed state and not the state that it was originally intended. So anyway, in that, the answer would be no, I, I think, to that, and that's, that would take us through. So the son of perdition is the Antichrist. You know, it's funny, um, the Antichrist is only really mentioned by name one time, and that's in 1 John uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 18. We say the Antichrist, we always refer to the end times, and we look at, at what's coming ahead, we always call the Antichrist. We never say some of his other names, like son of perdition, or, or anything like that, but but uh, Antichrist is fitting because anti would mean against or opposed to uh, or a substitute for. And he is. He's a fake Christ. See, he is, he is going to act like Jesus Christ. He is going to try to say that he is the one fulfilling the prophecies that were meant for Jesus Christ that, that Jesus did indeed fulfill. And he will lie in that state. And Satan will use him as his Christ, if you will. He's not. Satan can't be three in one. He is singular. He is a created being, just like we're a created being. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Lynn talk a little bit about Satan. Great verses about Satan. I mean, that's who he is, but he is created being. And, it, and, and I love how Pastor Lynn also said that, that he hates you. And he does hate us. And we forget that sometimes. We think the answer to fun or the answer to happiness maybe, maybe is in, in avoiding God's word and doing things ourselves. Well, that's a lie. And that's from Satan, who is a liar from the beginning. Nevertheless, this is what it says about the Antichrist in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. It says, little children. It says, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. He's saying as the time grows on and grows closer and closer, we will always have Satan working in the background. And his demons, if you will, or his angel followers also working in the background. Now they can't be all places at one time, but there are many and they can be many places at one time for that. For a third of the angels, the Bible says, will follow him. And so they will be trying to mess up your walk and they will be trying to keep other people from even having a walk. And that's enough. That's sufficient. But he doesn't do it because he loves you. He does that because he hates you. Because see, we will be higher than the angels. That's what the Bible says. 
We are lower than the angels now, but we will ascend above the angels. In our hierarchy, in the government, we will above them. So he who was the covering cherub, who was the top angel, who was cast down from his lowly position, is now going to be, um, doesn't like the fact that God has created this man and woman. He created Adam and Eve in the garden. For he created them to have dominion over this earth. For you know in the garden, they were giving the, the animals names. They were giving dominion. That was something that God did to them. He gave them Adam and, and he, he, gave, he gave them man and woman. You, he, God is the creator and now of his creation, he is allowing this man and this woman to, to name that creation. They were to have dominion. But they had to be tested first. For we're not worthy of that kind of dominion without some testing. And we can't, if everything was easy, how good of judge would we be? How good of, of king would we be? We wouldn't be very good at all. And so he put the one thing that we couldn't have. The tree of knowledge and good and evil. Now the wise thing would have been to stay away from completely, but we didn't. We went near it and, and we stumbled and we fared and we were tricked by the father of lies, the murder from the beginning. And Satan comes, sits in the tree, lies to the woman, and man falls away from his in intended purpose. Now the intended purpose for the church, as promised in the book of Revelation, is that we will rule and reign with him as kings and priests. How cool is that? So it means the purpose for you and I is still the same. And Satan does not want that. He does not want that because he wants his place. A matter of fact, he says he wants to ascend above God who created him. How silly is that, right? I mean, how silly is that, that, that Satan would, would strive to be above the, the God who created him, but that, nevertheless, that's, that's what it is. And so he doesn't want you to even go above him and knock him. That would be terrible. Well, his de destiny is in the lake of fire. His destiny is in eternal torment. And that eternal torment, it says in the Bible, was not made for you and I. It says it was made for Satan and his followers only. But we end up getting trapped there because we miss the opportunities to know who Jesus is, who God is. And when we miss those opportunities and we stumble and we fall and we fall short and we don't, don't do that, then Satan's happy. And he says, ah, ha, ha, they're going to be in there with me. Instead, we should be attaining glory, if you will, the glory only offered by God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the opportunities, they're only there. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is only one way and there is only one path in this book of Revelation and, this, and, the, and the rapture is showing that, that, that a couple things. One, to be absent uh, from the Lord to be present with, uh, I mean, to be absent from the bodies be present with the Lord, but also that, that he is indeed true to his promises. And if he says that he's going to prepare a place for us, he is indeed going to prepare a place for us. And in going to prepare a place for us, he is, um, we know that we are going to be with him. And it's going to be a wonderful place beyond the cursed earth that we live in now. Sometimes I think we think that this is it, you know, and this is the best and this is the best we can ever hope for. So we do everything we can to have gain here on earth. It is nothing compared to what God has planned for us. So this rapture, this is, this is what's, what's happening there. Anyway, Paul said in, verse, uh, in, in the next verse here, well, a couple things before I, I leave this. Um, Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, has Jesus specifically, you know how I told you what the rapture was for? The seven years are for the Jews? He tells them this. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by, the, by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, understand. And what he ends up telling them to do is take off. 
get out of Dodge. Get out of here as fast as you can when you see that happen. Because tribulation is coming. That's mid-tribulation. So he already warns that and he confirms Daniel as a true prophet of his merely in that statement. Daniel 9.27 says this, and this is about the abomination desolation. And this is what Jesus was referring to in that moment. It says this, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. One week of years is seven years. And he is the Antichrist. But in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. The Antichrist will stop sacrifice and offering in the middle of that week. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. There is trouble coming because of this, and yet this is what will happen. This is what he says will happen. Jesus pointed to that. So he says when you see these things, these little antichrists, these things, just know that the time is coming, that these things are, 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 are coming. And, and um, in verse 5, this is what he says. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? He's saying you, as an early church that I've just spent some weeks with, I've already taught you about the end times. I've already taught you to look forward to this rapture, to this harpazo. And I've already told you about the Antichrist and how Satan works and is going to come up among you. If that message was relevant for the first church, it's certainly relevant for us. And it's something he's saying to watch for. Be looking for Jesus' near, near return. Could happen at any moment. Why? Not because... It may or may not happen during our lifetime. I happen to believe that it is soon, but just because of the things around us, but so as generations before me. But I know that it's sooner and sooner. It's nearer and nearer. It's coming. It is coming, for sure, because God's word is true. But I also know that it keeps my head out of the earth, and it keeps my head where it belongs, with God. It keeps me looking to him every day, waking up, being new every morning, refreshing my mind with the word of God and, and moving forward with him and seeing what he has, his purposes and his plans for my life. So in, in verse 6 it says, and now you know what is restraining that it may be revealed in its own time. See, that abomination of desolations can't take place. The Antichrist cannot raise up to form a priest's agreement to do all that. You and I as Christians would be screaming out, from the mountaintops, I know who that is. That's the Antichrist, right? I mean, we would. But it can't even happen, it says, because of this. It says, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. I like the New King James Version here because the he is capitalized. And I don't know if it is in your NIV or not. But he is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a promise, a guaranteed promise. It is the uh, promise of the groom, the bridegroom given to the bride of his return for you. And he has given you that Holy Spirit to teach us, it says to teach us, and to give us, and, and that we might know and retain the promise. He, the Holy Spirit, will come out of the way, will have to be removed before the Antichrist and Satan can start doing his major last day dealings when he tries to get the whole world to worship him. So you and I must be gone because the, the, the Holy Spirit is a promise as a guarantee to us as Christians. So when he takes the Holy Spirit, he takes us with it. And we aren't here for the tribulation that will come. It says, oh, and only then, after he is taken out of the way, in verse 8 it says, and then the lawless, not, lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. And that we find in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, you see exactly that. 
You know, um, this mystery of lawlessness is already at work is, is kind of interesting just because we do know that it's at work. We certainly have seen uh, say, um, um, sin in all of our lives, certainly there, but we also see uh, Jesus say in a parable. And the parable was, remember of the, the, the wheats and the tares, if you know that parable, comes from uh, uh, Matthew chapter 13. And he says that he sowed good seed, a sower, and then, and then there were tares, the evil one sowed tares. The evil one would be Satan. Satan sowed tares around, and he said, wait to the end in the harvest in which he will remove, he will remove the bad for destruction and the good for, for him. But nevertheless, um, I, I just thought that that is something that we've that was warned to the church, that was warned to Christians that they would have to endure living with that evil, living with Satan and the Antichrist trying to uh, get get. Uh, well, not the Antichrist, but many Antichrists when he was talking about a, a type of Antichrist, those who are, are, are perverting the word of God and changing it and making it, making it their, their own. The, um, the, one more thing. He who now restrains, uh, before I go on to this next slide, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you as far as the Holy Spirit being in you and not being removed. And I think that's the most important thing. I said in, in the earlier class uh, we were talking about, we live in a remarkable time where we live in a dispensation that we are called the church. We are called the bride of Christ. He has given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee. No time before or no time after that will the Holy Sp Spirit be given in that way. We are marked specially as, as brides to Jesus Christ. And before that, the Holy Spirit came selectively. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and went. Saul was a good example. King Saul had the Holy Spirit for a while and then it left him. It departed him. When he stopped doing what God's will was for Israel and for his own life, then he took it from him. He put it on another. It was David. During that time, other prophets and, and, and some kings and, and priests also had the Holy Spirit. But it was selective. It was given and it was taken away. It wasn't always with them. During the tribulation, it will be much the same way. It won't be the same way. We will find 144,000 marked, and we'll talk about that on, on Tuesday if you happen to be able to be there. Um, but uh, those people are marked with the Holy Spirit and marked and kept and preserved through the entire tribulation during that time. We also will find two witnesses that certainly will have the Holy Spirit during that time. So it is selectively given then, and I believe even into the millennium it will be that way. So do we not know how special of time we live? We live in a time where it's merely the confession of Jesus Christ and, and, then, and then the acceptance of him. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God uh, is raising, raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. And I think we are saved from that tribulation. I know that we are saved from death. And we are given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. And we are the only ones that have the Holy Spirit from the moment we accept Jesus Christ until we die or the rapture happens. We are the only ones that have that. And it's a really, really cool thing. It is a mark. It is a mark that you are His always and forever. And no other generation as far as periods of time except for that, the last 2,000 years from, from Jesus and the, the day of Pentecost on until the day of His rapture will be able to say that ever before or ever again will be able to say that. And that is an awesome, awesome privilege. And I think we take that for granted too, too often. But nevertheless, um, I, I wanted to show you uh, this, this last slide here. And, um, and this is what it says. Isaiah chapter 11, 
verse 10 and 11, and I mentioned it earlier. It says this, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who will stand as a banner to all the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again a second time to recover the remnant of the people who are left. See, when he comes again, he will come for the second time. The Jewish people, when he came the first time, didn't get this verse. They missed on it. They missed on where it says a second time. And so um, when he comes a second time down here, we will see, they will see him and recognize him for who he truly is. Him who they pierced is who they'll see. But I, I like the outline there because we had the first coming of Jesus Christ. We'll have a rapture where he will draw us into the, into the sky. It says he will bring us up, rapture, catch us up into the sky. And then he won't come again onto earth until the second coming. We see it in Revelation chapter 19 when he comes and in Revelation chapter 20 when he rules and reigns on the earth during a thousand year period. A thousand year period in which Satan is locked up. That's called the millennium. And then he will continue that reign on into eternity. It is an, an awesome time and it is an awesome thing to get this verse, to understand this verse that he will indeed come a second time. And yes, that was Jesus who came the first time. And it wasn't by accident, it was, it was a planned time. As a little precursor into what comes next, and we'll do this and then we'll close, there is a scroll scene in, in heaven after that. Um, the scroll, uh, just, just as a heads up, happens to be where all the tribulations are found in this scroll. It is a seven-sealed scroll. It ends up having uh, uh, seven seals that are broken, and inside the seventh seal are seven trumpet judgments on the earth, and inside the, the uh, seventh trumpet are seven bowls of wrath that will come on the earth. And it is awesomely terrible. I mean, it's horrifying. When you go through it, you realize who could stand? Who could live through this? I mean, it's just, just really, really horrible. Um, before that, we see one more look at Jesus, and we see look at Jesus in, in much the same way as the Gospels looked at Jesus, and that comes out of Revelation chapter 4. Um, that Revelation chapter 4, um, if you, if you want to go back and look at it, it talks about Jesus as, as a lion, as a calf, as a man, and as an eagle. It talks about this creature that it sees that is like this. And it's kind of an unusual thing. But if we go back and we look at who um, Matthew s described in his gospel, there's four gospels too, Jesus says, he describes him as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king, right? He describes him as the king of kings and lord of lords. If you look at it, that's who he's saying he, he, he is. And, and the calf or the ox, Mark, uh, the ox is always seen as a servant, as a, a servant animal that's, that's, that's working hard. And um, Mark sees Jesus as that servant. Um, finally, it sees this creature as a man. And the, the man is, Luke sees, uh, sees Jesus as the son of man. And the same kind of thing. And then the final one was the eagle. And the eagle is, is, is regal. The eagle is, is, is grand and great. And jo John, in his gospel, sees him as the son of God. So I think in much the same way that there were four gospels written about uh, Jesus uh, with particular um, certain direction and aspect, we see Jesus in chapter 4 as that. And then the scroll comes out. And there's worry. Because nobody knows who's able to loose the scroll. And what's funny is, I told you, in heaven, you see 24 elders and four living creatures. These 24 elders, I believe, represent the church. And one of the elders cries out that Jesus, 
He's the one who's able to loose because he fulfilled all the requirements of the law. I also believe that this, this scroll represents the title deed of the earth. See, Satan has it now. And Satan walks to and fro among it. Seeing who he can devour, who he can might destroy. I mean, that's what he does. That's what he goes about. But God is coming. Jesus Christ is coming. He's given it to his son to take ownership of the earth again. To say, no more. No more to you. And that's what's coming ahead. And so, if you're able to come back on Tuesday night, we're going to go into the big, uh, the main service, and we're going to talk about what happens with these judgments. These seven seals that are in front of us, and the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. And they come, and they're terrible. And then there's, there's, there's a time in which Jesus will come and we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years during the millennium and then finally we will have eternity forever and ever. So we'll get into that a little bit more then. I guess we're coming up out of time now. So does anybody have any questions or anything on, on what we went over today? I, I did the best I could to convince what we've taken a long time for in a short period of time. So hopefully you were able to hang with me. I'm here after too in case you have any questions about that. But I think it's really cool. I think it's exciting. I love the fact that there's a blessing, a special blessing for us who read it. So read it. Try to learn it. Learn that. Don't be afraid of it. Because it was taught, it was taught to the first churches in the first weeks of them becoming, coming to know the Lord, as we see in Thessalonians. He taught them this. Don't you know, he said, in 2 Thessalonians, I talked to you about this when I was with you? How cool is that? It's all for us. Don't be afraid just because you don't hear a whole lot of people teaching Revelation or teaching some of these things like the rapture or whatever. Get into the Word because I don't have the answers. I'm just a mouthpiece, you know. I've happened to study it. I, I've, I've gotten into this, you know, and then this has become my hobby is the Bible. But nevertheless, it's not me that gives you the answers. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you the answers. So read it yourself. Don't Anything that I said today, don't take just for a gospel. Go in, open your Bible, read it. That was only, we only talked about three, four chapters today. So easily to read that over the next couple days, you know. Read that and see. It's really, really cool. And hopefully, this quick overview gives you some kind of basis where you go, oh yeah, okay. And then, start looking in Old Testament Scripture and finding out whether or not these things are so. You know, th there was a group called the Bereans, that were praised, it says, because they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether or not these things were so. We should all be Bereans, and we should all be searching the scripture daily to find out whether or not these things are so. And it's a great, great, I think, promise to us. So let's, let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, I just thank you and praise you for who you are and for your wonderful word and for the mystery and the, the promise and the, 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 the revealing, the apocalypse, the uh, unveiling of who you are that is available for us to learn more and more each day says, Lord, that your word is new every morning, and I know that to be true. Lord, help us as we go out not to be, um, not to be double-minded, to be single-minded, and to seek you, and to want to know more about you. For in that desire, I think we grow in a closer walk. So help us to follow you, not go our own way, but follow after you. And in that, I know there are amazing blessings. We pray, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.